Father, thank you for this church family. They are such a, a blessing. I just think of all of the, the memories of joy and uh, testimonies of your goodness that I have seen and know of here in this church. Lord, we pray that you would bless us today as we seek you, as we desire to learn from you. And Father, we're learning a concept that we get to say we intend to do, but we need you to work in us for it to be complete. And so we pray that you wouldn't just be teaching us ideas, but that you would be teaching us a new way, the way of Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, so we're in the, the midst of Philippians chapter 2, and Philippians chapter 2 is calling us to choose humility. And so the, the title of this whole series is I Choose Humility. And that's a challenging choice to make every day. It's a challenging choice to make in every situation that we're in. And we're going to talk a little bit about one of the things that God has given us uh, to help us to pursue that humility. And so today we're talking about humility that is adopted. We are being called to adopt humility in our lives as a way of being, or maybe even an attitude in terms of how we live. Um, on the way in, though, I was thinking about this, uh, this concept that popped into my head, the concept of the American dream. Uh, so the American dream used to be to get married, to have a nice house, and have kids. How many of your parents accomplished that goal? <laughs> Good, excellent. Um, I, I think about my dad and the, the story of him growing up. You know, his, his parents got married, and then they bought a little house in Michigan, and they started to have kids, and it, it was like the dream, right? And then they were moved to Illinois for um, work for grandpa, and then they built a house and that was like an even bigger dream, right? Because then it was like their house. And, and it was really kind of a dreamy house. I remember going there as a kid and thinking, wow, this is such an ideal thing to have. This house in, in this small town in central Illinois with a, a big backyard and a dog and all of those things, right? So kind of the American dream was this ideal experience of family life. And then in the last few years, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the American dream is changing for future generations. So if you're in the older generation and you're hearing someone express their dreams and you're like, that sounds weird. It's their new American dream. It's different than the American dream that many of us in this congregation had and pursued growing up. And this American dream is, is much more about personal happiness. In fact, that's one of the stated goals. But what's interesting is the other American dream, that was also about personal happiness, right? It was just, this is the formula for happiness. Now they don't have a formula, so they're just saying, this is a goal, this is a dream. They want to have a fulfilling lifestyle. And they're looking for comfort and freedom, which means adaptability and flexibility so that things feel good and okay in life. And it's interesting as we go through these cultural shifts, because it seems odd to look from one to the next, or to be in the newer one and look back. And there could be confusion, like, why is it this way? In fact, I think at first blush, people who had that first dream of a, a, a husband or a wife, a marriage, and a house, and a family, uh, you look at this new one and you go, that's very selfish. That's also self-focused. But the reality is that the American dream has always been self-focused. The American dream has been about my ideal life and what I want for me. And that means that everybody in America is discipled to be self-focused. We've all been trained to be self-focused. Now, there's a piece that we can't stop being 
a self, right? Like you're not a drop of water that's going to rejoin some cosmic ocean. You've been created by God to be you, uniquely you. And it's important. That's a gift that you're you. And yet at the same time, there's this huge problem. And we know this if we know Jesus very well. Self-focus does not lead to self-fulfillment. Self-focus will consistently lead you to disappointment. It's the nature of self-focus. It is inherently unfulfilling because you are not an adequate big goal in life. You are not an adequate big goal in life. Imagine if your whole goal in life was to bag up your groceries really well. Would you be a very fulfilled person? Yeah, for like 35 seconds every day, right? And then it would go away. And then what would you have to do? Bag up more groceries, right? But then what if you could become a grocery bagger? But no, 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 it's bagging up your groceries, not their groceries, right? Because it's about you and your groceries. But good call. I mean, you would think so. But that's about other people, not about your groceries. The same thing is true in ourselves. When we constantly focus on ourselves and only invest in ourselves, we find that it's far too inadequate for a a fulfilling and meaningful life. Because the reality is, is while we are so much more significant than bagging up groceries, we're not that much more significant. We're not that important on our own. Beyond that, the bag that we're putting the groceries in, the bottom falls out. And the cans get dropped on the eggs sometimes, right? Because we make mistakes and we're not perfect. And so then it becomes very unfulfilling. And so Jesus, we're going to see in the passage today, Jesus shows us a new way to be human. He's calling us to adopt humility and to find the place that you are exactly defined to function within. Have you ever had one of those moments where you feel like, this is my place in life. I resonate here. This is goodness. This is ultimately what humility is before the Lord for us. It's a place that we were created to be. And so as we move into that place and function in it, we find more and more that our being resonates with being humble like Jesus was humble. And so let's look at the text today together, shall we? Now we're going to do this a little bit differently because in my study of the text uh, this week, I've got to tell you, it's so rich, this passage. And while our focus is on humility, there's this backdrop that I'd like to highlight for you, and I don't want you to miss it because it's so important for us as uh, believers in Jesus to know about. And actually, if you don't know Jesus, it's probably important for you to know that this is here in God's Word. So this first verse, it says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now, face value, it's a very basic command, right? It, it like couldn't get any clearer. It's a very basic English sentence, and it's actually a very basic Greek sentence. So I want to talk to you about this concept of adoption. When we think about adoption, what do we think about when it comes to adoption? Children? Uh, even more than that? Pets, right? Like people adopt pets. That's what we call it. We go to the animal shelter, which used to be called the pound, but we've upgraded it, and, and, and like uh, they're very important down there. And so what are we doing? We are adopting those pets. It's not just that we're making a place for them. It's that they are a part of our family. So it's like bringing in to be a part of us. And, and that's not bad or wrong. It's just the way that we typically use adopt. But the Greek word here, and I'm not throwing this out to be fancy, but I want you to think about this. It's phreneo, phreneo. 
And when you think of phreneo, the word that comes to mind for me is frenetic. So what does frenetic mean? If you have a friend who is frenetic, what are they like? They're like, they're all over the place, right? Like they're like a squirrel on a spaceship. Anti-gravity is happening. You don't know where they're going. You're, you're glad you have a belt on and you're thinking about tying up the bottom of your pants, right? Like you're just making sure everything is secure from that mind that's bouncing around all over the place. But phreneo just means to think in the Greek. So phrenetic means rapid thought, but phreneo is to think. It's to think. Now, there are a lot of ideas with thinking. Like the first is to have an opinion. Like, what do you think of Captain Crunch? You all have an opinion on Captain Crunch. Some of you are like, that's the bomb. (laughs) Like, where can I get some Captain Crunch? Some of you are like, that hurts my mouth and my soul. Why are you talking about Captain Crunch? I hear about, I'm here to hear about Captain Christ. So uh, you have an opinion on Captain Crunch, right? But then the the next thing is to, to give careful consideration. To give careful consideration. So, Ladies and some gentlemen, you freneo about your wardrobe choices in the morning. You give careful consideration. You're laying out colors. You're looking at your makeup. You're looking at your hair. You're observing the color of the sky. And you're making sure that your outfit matches your purse and the face of Jupiter, right? Like you are freneoing about your outfit. Like you're doing a biblical thing there. I don't know that it's always a good thing, but you're doing it. And that's cool. You're, you're, you're giving careful consideration. But in the Bible, this is like the concept in Colossians. Set your mind on the things above. Consider where Jesus is and the heavenly calling that you have. It's a careful consideration. And for guys, you do this, or at least I do this, when I'm doing projects. You probably heard the term measure twice, cut once. Yeah, it started for me measure once, buy thrice, right? That's different. You don't want to be doing that one. Um, you, you, you want to carefully consider what's going on. But there's also this concept of taking someone's side or to be an advocate is this saying that we should take the side of jesus attitude like if we hear people disparaging jesus should we be like you don't know anything about jesus he was an awesome savior shut your pie hole is that what it's talking about probably not do some of us want to do that on facebook like every third wednesday absolutely right but that is not having the attitude of christ jesus the next definition is to acknowledge something as important acknowledging something as important. That resonates with us, doesn't it? Acknowledge Jesus' humility as something that is important. Is that something that's valuable for us to do as people who are into Jesus? Probably. Do you think that that adequately pursues the definition of adoption here? Probably not, right? But honestly, that's where a lot of us get off the bus. We like to acknowledge the importance of Jesus and his sinless life. We like to view it, and we like to be amazed by it. I I personally do this. I love to read the Gospels and consider Jesus' life and attitude and acknowledge it as important. I mean, Jesus amazes me constantly as I read stories about his life. I'm blown away by his character, by his love, and what God used him to do on this earth before he used him for the ultimate thing, which was to save us from our sins when we believe in him. I mean, how awesome is that? That's worth considering. That's an important thing. So I don't want to let that definition die, but it falls short. Because the final thought is to develop an attitude based on careful thought. 
It's to develop an attitude based on careful thought. So if we are going to fulfill this command, is this something that we can do instantly? No, because it's going to take time. Careful thought takes time. Now, I was just in a conversation this morning with some of our lovely brothers and sisters in Christ, and we were talking about how we think and how we learn. And a couple of us said, we learn really rapidly and intensely. And that's true for some of us. And there was somebody in the room, and he said, I am a slug. I'm a snail. I just march through thought slowly. I read slowly. I take it all in. You can think fast, and you can think slow, both with care and intentionality. Curating your thoughts towards the goal that you have in mind. Collecting information and ideas that are valuable. But this attitude piece pushes it beyond thought. It takes it to a place that it's past thinking. You see, an attitude is a posture in life. It's the way that you're postured towards life and the people around you. It wasn't accidental that I talked to the kids about posture on the way out because it got you thinking about posture. Every day you wake up with a posture towards the world around you. Now admittedly in the winter when it's cold and rainy and damp and gray and kind of yucky in my opinion, some of you love this weather, and I don't want a yucky or yum, but for me this is not delicious days when it's cold and rainy. And I have the posture of going back to bed. Have you ever had the going back to bed posture for a day in your life? Yeah, some of you are like, that is where I live, man. And then some days I'm like a three-year-old inside who's getting a bowl of Captain Crunch. And so I have a greedy posture and give me some more and how much of this can I have and quickly put it in my mouth before it gets soggy, right? And so I can have a kind of a black hole of a posture to the people and things around me because I'm greedy. But Jesus here is showing us and calling us to develop his posture towards others in life by developing careful consideration. Okay, so now we're going to digress a little bit. We're going to take a detour on another important road in this passage. Uh, this passage is about the humility of Christ, but the way that the passage is thrown up on the billboard of the Bible, it's showing us something else okay so have you ever seen one of those drink commercials where they're selling telling you that this drink tastes delicious and you want it but then it's also showing you like a lifestyle that you can get out of the drink and like you will be more athletic the ladies will find you more appealing you will be slimmer and your body will be proportional in all the right places you know these commercials where there's like this subtext going on there's a subtext in this passage that it's vital for you to know and to understand and so if you're willing to to put on your nerd hat or maybe your your honorary pocket protector for a minute it'd be beneficial for you uh, this passage is like a, a billboard that's starting to highlight the nature of jesus and it's starting to highlight the nature of jesus first of all by highlighting the attitude in the greek it says adopt this one this attitude of jesus and so when it does that it's like it's putting in all caps attitude of jesus uh, younger people in the church, when you send a text and it's in all caps, what is it like you are doing through that text message? It's like you're yelling, right? So, so just so you know, grandparents, if you accidentally send the text in all caps to your grandkids, they think you're yelling. Happy birthday, that's great. Why did you get a C on your paper? 
all lowercase, okay? <laughs> Just so you know. It's like all caps, Jesus attitude. There's something in Jesus that's different. His posture for life is important. Get your mind around Jesus' posture. So when we're reading the stories of Jesus, it's not just that we're being amazed by Jesus. What are we doing as well? We're considering him and we're looking at how he is poised towards others, poised towards the Father, how does he understand himself and his mission in life? And we're considering, where does my attitude measure up compared to this? Is the trajectory of my life on point with Jesus' trajectory? Or is it heading towards something else and some other destination? And how can I bring myself more in alignment, more in harmony with the nature of his attitude? What is the Holy Spirit calling me to do? And how is he empowering me to do it? These are some of the focus of this passage and this idea. And so then we move into the description of Jesus' attitude. And it says, who existing in the form of God did not regard equality with God, pardon me, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Have you ever had a passage that you memorized like in Awana or school and then you're reading it from a different translation later? That's going to happen a lot today because I had to memorize this and then the NASB in college and we're in the Christian Standard Bible now, so please forgive my uh, misreading there. Uh, but did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. So this idea of existing in the form of God. So form of God is morphe ha theos. So the form of the God. It's specifically about God the Father. And we think about morphe, the idea of morphology comes to mind. And so morphology is like the nature or type of that thing. And so it's talking about the existence, the existential nature of God. It's talking about his spiritual reality. See, before Jesus came in the flesh, he did not have flesh. He was just a spiritual being with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Now, it's an interesting verb that was chosen here. It's huparko, which means to exist beforehand or eternally exist. And the sentence structure is equally interesting. I told you we were going to nerd out for a minute. I just keep, keep on this with me. Uh, the Bible uses something called participial phrases sometimes. And a participial phrase is a, a fancy word to make a noun into a verb and to use it to describe something else. Okay, so think of it like a, an adjective adverb sandwich applied to a, an action or a person. It's a weird Greek concept. They did funny things with their language. We do too, but we're not used to theirs. And so this existing in the form of God is describing Jesus, right? And this existing in the form of God in terms of being a present participle is mind-blowingly weird because it's not talking about now. Where was Jesus when Paul was writing this letter? In heaven. Where in heaven? At the right hand of the Father, on the throne of God, right? And so it's not talking about Jesus then, but it could be. This is actually talking about Jesus' attitude on earth. And so it's a present participle talking about Jesus' attitude here on the earth. So it's present in the past tense. And it's ongoing, which means it didn't have a beginning or an end, which is what we call what? Eternity. Eternally existing with the nature of God. Have you ever had somebody tell you that the Bible doesn't actually say that Jesus is God? 
They're wrong. They're just wrong. It's like saying, did you know our, oxy- our, our atmosphere is all made of oxygen? It's not. They're wrong, right? There's things that people can be wrong about. And when people say the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God, you could just look at them very politely and say, you're wrong. <laughs> it's all you have to do. The Bible disagrees with you. And now you know why they're wrong, right? If you can't explain it, you'd be like, you should talk to my pastor or look at YouTube, right? It's okay to do that. But just for you to know, they're not right. You don't let, have to let them poke at Jesus like that. That's one of those times where you can freneo. You can take Jesus' side. You can say, he was God. He always existed as God. The Holy Spirit wrote it in the Bible so that we would understand it, but we missed it. It says that he who parkoed and morphe hafeos. Then they're not going to talk to you anymore. You just won <laughs> the argument right there. Don't you understand the Greek? It's plain right there. He existed in the form of God eternally from the beginning. Gosh, people, don't do it that way. They won't receive it very well, but, but it's right there. And I just, isn't it good to know that it's right there and that it's clearly, obviously, the billboard that's going on? So this is Jesus, and he existed in the form of God, but he didn't consider that equal nature with the Father to be something to be exploited. He didn't consider it as something that was good for him. The the original word says he didn't consider it plunder or robbery. Any King James fans in in the room? I love King James' translation here because he says it it did not consider it robbery. What is robbery? It's when you take something for you, right? I think of Vikings when I think of robbery and plunder. That's what Vikings and pirates do. Jesus didn't pirate life even though he could have. I mean, if anybody can walk into any lunchroom and take someone's lunch and be like, that's mine, it's God, right? Like, if God takes your milk, who are you going to tell? It's his milk. Jesus, yeah, tell the cows. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. They're going to be like, he made me too, man. Like, what am I going to do here? He doesn't consider his position, his power, his nature in life to be something that he can use for his own advantage, even though he could, and we could even say he should, but instead he does something else with that very nature. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Wow, isn't that powerful? This is the example for us. This is the model for us. He didn't take advantage of who he was. Instead, he emptied himself of that thought. I'm not going to consider my rightful place in the universe as something that's for me. And taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had become, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.
Now, this is one of my favorite passages in the Scripture. Anybody else? This is like we're here, and it's like this is like the World Series of the New Testament for me. Uh, so we're winning. We all won the World Series of the New Testament today, by the way. I, if I could give you all a pennant for Jesus, I would. You could wave it around at Jack's. Like, Jesus won all of history, everybody! But we won't do that today because then we'd look really weird, and that's not beneficial. So uh, first big concept. God is calling you to adopt the humility of Jesus. God is calling you to adopt the humility of Jesus. By the way, this is true of all people. Now, the people who can do it are people who have the spirit of the living God inside of them because they've put their faith in Jesus. But the reality is that every human is called to live in the humility of Christ. It's what we were created for. This was the nature of Adam and Eve before the sin entered into their life, before they became more important than God in their actions and in their mindsets. Humility is a part of basic human nature, as we're going to cover in just a little bit. And so this is a call for everyone. And it's a call specifically for you. Jesus is your model for humility. Jesus is your model for humility. And that model is the selfless life. It's the selfless life. So let's look really quickly again uh, back at verses 5 and 6. It says, Adopt this same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now, we talked about the highlight of the attitude, and then we talked about his godness, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or to be used for his own advantage. That's our model for humility. Now, some of you on the way in, you grab the, the screw tape letters, which are on the little black table there, and it's just like it's like five pages in a little book. It's, it's a quick read. And the screw tape letters as a concept, it's this uh, like spoof, it's this satire that C.S. Lewis wrote. And it's a, it's a book where an uncle of an underdemon, the uncle is an overdemon in the demon hierarchy, blah, 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 is uh, writing letters to this newbie who's got this man who he's messing with, right? And so he's been assigned to a person, and it's his job to make sure that this guy doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't put his faith in Jesus. But the problem is, is this new, new guy, he's really bad at his job. And, and so all of the letters are like giving him ideas and correcting him, and also it's the uncle puffing himself up because we know that the, the heart of Satanism is pride, right? And so it's this really kind of funny and, and uh, satirical thing, but at the same time there's some serious concepts in there. And so the, the week that I've copied for you, uh, chapter 14, is about our humility. And in it, what he says is he says, I want you to cultivate within your patient, so he, they call him the patient, the idea that he should not be enamored with the good things in his life. And so think of like a beautiful woman who's always trying to convince herself that she's ugly. Or, or a very clever boy who's constantly saying that he's stupid because he's uncomfortable with the idea of having a sharp mind. See, often when we think about humility, about our very nature, what we mean is suppressing the nature that we have because it's not okay to be good enough. That the very definition of humble is to be not good enough. Now, there's a piece of humility that this is true because part of humility is knowing that we aren't perfect. But there's no part in Christian humility that rejects who God made you to be. There's no part in Christian humility that calls you to not use your gifts for the things that God intended you to use your gifts for. 
I have met people who are beautiful worshipers of Jesus. They have a, a voice that thaws frozen butter out in Alaska in January outside. I mean, it's just beautiful, and, and, it, and it portrays Jesus. You talk to them, and they're like, oh, that's not for me. I could possibly never do that, right? And there's this false form of humility there because they're suppressing, they're suppressing the nature that God gave them. There's also an opposite fault where we would seek to self-promote and maximize the nature that God gave us, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about accepting it and using it in a different way. It doesn't say that Jesus considered his godhood and hated it, tried to hide it so that no one would know about it. Is that true in the Gospels, by the way? No, the whole Gospel of John is Jesus walking around telling everybody, hey, I'm God, nice to meet you. I'm here to save the world, right? Like, he does it incredibly humbly, but all of those I am statements in the Gospel of John, it's Jesus knocking on the neighborhood's door where he's at. By the way, I am the Lord, right? And then he, like, enters in as the humble Savior that he is. But it's him saying that he's God. So it's not self-suppression. It's a selfless life. It's not using who you are and what you are and what you have as if that is just for you. God gave you those things for your good so that you could serve and love other people. That's a hard thing to do because how much did Jesus use his nature for us? All the way. He emptied it out. Paul says in 2 Timothy, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. That's what Jesus was. He was being poured out. He used all of himself. If he was a tube of toothpaste, he was curled up and pressed in so that there was nothing left in there. And then somebody took toothpicks and got that little pea-sized thing out of the tube at the top, right? The toothpaste tube was empty when Jesus finished. All of it was used. A selfless life, completely for others. Nothing for our own advantage. Is that hard to do in our modern time? Absolutely it's hard to do in our modern time. I can't Facebook and Instagram like this. Some of you can. Some of you are great at that. I I look at some believers on Facebook and Instagram, and it's part of pouring themselves out. But for me, I'm like, I'm just here puffing myself up. Like, I can't can't do this because for me it feels like self-promotion. That's a conscience thing, right? See, Christianity calls us to lay aside self-promotion because who are we promoting? Jesus, right? Like he is the thing. Now on promotional offer at Peninsula Baptist Church, eternal life through Jesus Christ. Still free, better than ever though, right? Like that's what we're promoting and that's what we're offering. And so the instant that we enter into self-promotion, we're, we're leaving this selfless life. So Jesus says, I know who I am and I know what I've been given and it's not for me. It's for him. It's for my father. And so I do it for him. At the end of his life in John 17, what does he pray? Father, I did the thing that you sent me here to do. I did it all. I held on to them, all of them, except for the son of perdition, the one who will betray me. I have been faithful to every instruction that you've given. I am listening to you. Now, how did Jesus do this? Now, this is very important. The selfless life, the selfless life, genuinely can only be lived, as in truly can only be lived when you live in the overwhelming greatness of the love of God the Father. 
Now, I'm not coming up with this thought on my own. I read it in a book called Humility huh, by Andrew Murray. And in the introduction, Andrew Murray says, the only way to live a humble life is to be caught up in the overwhelming love of the Father. And this matched something that I understand from my own humility. If I feel insecure, it is almost impossible to follow after the humility of Jesus. When I feel insecure, it's very hard to be humble because I'm looking for something to secure me, which means that I am inherently self-focused, not selfless. And so Jesus lived this humble life because he lived perfectly in the love of the Father. Have you ever looked at how Jesus interacted with some of the people in the Bible? You're like, how did he, how did he have the chutzpah to do that? That's a good term to describe Jesus, right? How did he have the guts? How could he say that to those people? Doesn't he know what he's doing? He's poking the hornet's nest. Doesn't he know what he's doing? He's, he's looking terrible publicly right now. Well, how could he do that? Those words, those situations, they didn't define him. The love of the Father defined him. He wasn't risking that. He was living in that more and more. And so Jesus models this adoption into humility. And he models us for us the descent into greatness. That's another quote not from me. That's from Dr. Tom Shive, uh, who's a teacher at the seminary I went to. Brilliant, brilliant pastor. Jesus is showing us that the selfless life is to descend into true greatness. Next, Jesus demonstrates the path of humility, which is servanthood, the other's focused life. If you look at Jesus Christ and his life, what is the direction of his life? It's always out. It's always out. It's out towards the Father. It's out towards the people around him. He is concerned for them and for their good constantly. Constantly for their good. Constantly for their best interest. He shows us the other's focused life. So look at verses 7 and 8. Instead of counting his nature as something to be used for his own advantage, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Whose will does the servant do? The master's will. Who is Jesus' master? The Father. So if I'm going to consider Jesus' attitude, who is my master? Jesus or the Father. It works. They work in harmony. They never disagree about what you should do, just so you know. They're never having a fight in heaven. I told him to make his bed this morning, and he didn't. I told him it didn't matter. He lives in grace, Dad. It's not like that. They're not arguing about what you should have to do, right? Like They agree with the course of your life. And so taking on this form of a servant and becoming like a human. Becoming like a human. The, the term here, agenitos, it's to be made like a human. The, he already existed in the form of God, but then he was made in the form of humanity. And then when he became a human, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. Anybody like war movies? War movie fans out there? I like war movies. It's kind of weird. When I was younger, I was like, I'm not going to be a man who likes war movies. And then I grew up into a man, and I was like, darn it, I like war movies. How did this happen? Also, get that ketchup on my hot dog. What is that trash on there for? Mustard and onions only, please. All right, if you have pickle relish, that's okay too. Why, how does that happen to us? Anybody else notice that? That's when you graduate to the ear hair department of the barber shop. Like, can you also get these ones? All right, too much personal information there. So... In the war movie, there's often this moment where there's like the hero of the war movie and he's like the man and then somebody's trying to kill him and then what happens? There's this slow motion moment. Oh, 
And then everyone's like, he died for him. And then you realize the one who died is like more of a hero than you knew, right? But that death was to do what? To serve the one who they were protecting. To serve the one who they were protecting. So Jesus becomes the servant of all, less than everybody, by being that slow motion guy up on the cross. And instead of the bullet, he took the cross. Instead of the instant death, he took the pain and the shame that we all experience when we make mistakes. Jesus humbled himself by being lower than everybody. Because in the story of the Gospels, Jesus isn't the humble guy who comes from nowhere to die. He's the hero who's been everywhere. And then he dies for us. It's the hero of the story jumping in front of the bullet for the private, right? It's the one who shouldn't die, dying for everybody. That's the story of Jesus' humility. It's the other-centered life that Jesus is calling us to. It's so important that when we serve, we remember that it's not about us, that it's about them. That as I preach, it's not about me, it's actually about you. As we give, it's not about us feeling good giving, it's about the cause that we're giving to and the people that we're serving by giving together. Jesus showed us the path of humility is actually servanthood. And we're going to talk about more next week about how that plays out, but this is the model, and the model is showing us the path. And next we see that Jesus received the reward of humility, exaltation. And who exalts him? The Father. It says, for this reason, God highly exalted him. Highly exalted him. I love this. Uh, the term here is hyper-exaltation. Uh, I have a friend, he says, what happens when you put the term hyper in front of something in America? It becomes not good, right? Oh, that's a very active person. Oh, your pet is hyperactive. That's not a good thing, right? Like, no, we do not want the hyperactive pet. In this case, it's a very good thing. There's normal exaltation, and then there's hyper-exaltation. So when a servant does a good job, what do you do to that servant? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into thy master's joy. Anybody familiar with that verse from Matthew 25? Is that what Jesus hears? No. He gets hyper-exaltation. It's not, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your father's joy. Was he already in his father's joy? Absolutely. When did he hear well done? At the start of his mission, at the baptism, right? Skies open. What does God say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right? Like, good job right off the bat. You're doing the thing we planned to do. He already heard that. He was already in the joy. But then God hyper-exalted him. And so he gave him the name that is above every other name. Do you know anybody whose name is in the gym at your high school still? Like my friend Timmy Simmons, who ran the 100-yard dash in negative 4.3 seconds. No one's ever going to run faster than Timmy Simmons, right? Like, that guy was a flaming blur. We were wondering how he still had clothes on at the end. Can someone move that fast, right? That's a big name. That's, that's a name at that high school still. It's above all of the other sprinters. Well, Jesus' name is in the eternal gymnasium. And it's the top name on the wall. And no one's name will ever get bigger. His fame is eternal. Always and forever he is the best. He's the only hero of history that matters. Jesus' name is great. And so great, it says, so that at his name, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.
Now there's this pause there in the middle. It says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Have you ever wondered what that's all about? And kind of like, what is that all about? Well, what beings are in the heavenly places right now? Angels, other beings that are there? People, dead people, are to be absent, with the, the, absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Any other spiritual beings that are in the heavenlies right now? Demons, right? The heavens are not a good place all the time right now. There's an eternal battle happening there. All of those spiritual beings will bow their knee to Jesus. I'm in a, a Bible study on Thursday mornings and we're about to read the story of that man with all the demons who can like break the chains and then the demons go and all the pigs and then the pigs jump in the ocean and all the Jewish people are like, yay! And then all the people at our men's breakfast are like, all that bacon? You know, they, so it's, it's like kind of a weird story. And, and, and there's this weird moment at the beginning of this story where the demoniac person with all of these demons runs up to Jesus and goes on his knees before him. Have you ever thought, what is that about? I thought demons hated Jesus. Why is that happening? He's their king. They have to do obeisance unto him. Their authority is so much less than him. It's like comparing a lint ball to a Hershey kiss. Which is better? This one, right? It's so much better. I'd take that a thousand times and ten thousand times on Sunday. So much better. Jesus' worth is so great that even before his ultimate exaltation, the demons bowed before him. And then those on earth, who's that? It's us, and, and presumably it's the people that are on earth when Jesus returns, and then those under the earth. That's actually talking about the dead. But even the dead who are not in Christ. When you see greatness, you see greatness. When people see Jesus' greatness, for some of us it's going to be like, oh yeah. And for some of us it's going to be like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> By the way, don't, don't be a person who misses it. I just want you to know that Jesus loves you and he died for you. And if you put your faith in him, you will have everlasting life. And when you see Jesus, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. And I know I just made that very short, but it really is just simple. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you believe him to be the one who gives you everlasting life, he gives it and he doesn't take it back. And he changes you and he walks with you and he never gives up on you, even if you fail him his faith remains faithful forever. For this reason, God highly exalts him and he gives him this name. Did you know that this part that we just said is actually from Isaiah 45? I didn't either. <laughs> Isn't it nice to know that your pastor learns stuff too? I didn't either. It, it quotes uh, this one part to me in Isaiah 45, 23. It says, by myself I have sworn, truth has gone out from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me and every tongue will swear allegiance. Wow. Let me read the whole thing to you. It's even more of a wow. You speak up and present your case. Yes, let them consult each other. Who predicted this long ago? Who announces my plans from ancient times? It was I, the Lord. There is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. For by myself I have sworn and truth has gone out from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will swear allegiance. It will be said about me, righteousness and strength are only found in the Lord and all who are engaged against him will come to him and be put to shame. Wow. 
That's Isaiah 45, verses 21 to 24. Isn't that crazy? God promised that this would happen, and Paul is saying that it will happen. I just love that about the Bible, that God's word is always true, don't you? So Jesus receives this name that is above every other name. And it says that this is to the glory of God the Father, that he receives this name that is above every other name, and everyone will bow before him to the glory of God the Father. Wow. You know, I'm in a hurry for my own exaltation. I really like it when people see me and tell me, good job. There's a core part of my personality that I love achieving, and I love it even more when people see my achievements. But that's a form of pride, isn't it? Jesus achieved for who? The Father. You noticing that he did a good job and it was for you, that's a bonus, right? But ultimately, it was for the Father. And he already lived in the Father's pleasure. So achieving wasn't for the good of the relationship. It was out of love, an act of humble obedience to the Father. We are so often in a hurry for people to notice us, to praise us, to see us and encourage us. And so we often exalt ourselves. We often poke our noses up and say, what about me? I did really good. Did you notice how good I did today? Have you ever noticed that about yourself? Does that ever happen? My wife called me on this early in our marriage. She does so much in our household and she'd come home from work and be like, I did the dishes, honey. And then eventually she was like, I did them seven times, dear. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I was like, oh, I will take that humble pie. Thank you. That was delicious as it turns out. Right? Jesus wasn't in a hurry for the exaltation. We shouldn't be in a hurry for the exaltation either because who are we looking for exaltation from? The Father from Jesus. One day, each of us will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. And if you have faith in Jesus, it's going to be an awesome experience. And if you don't have faith in Jesus, it's going to be an experience that starts in awe, but it's going to end in full because you will be judged for your righteous works and your unrighteous works. You will be judged by your personal merit to go to heaven. And heaven is only accepting perfect people at this time and in the future. And so if you're not a perfect people, take note. It's bad for you then. But if you put your faith in Jesus, you bypass that line because the perfection of Christ is applied to you. And instead, you stand before the Olympic seat of judgment. And we're all in this race of life and God is rewarding finishers. And so you will receive exaltation from the Father, from the Son, for your faithfulness. Isn't that wild? Isn't that good? That one day there will be exaltation for you. But you know what? You'll be so humble in that moment. It says in Revelation that you will take those crowns of reward and where will you lay them? At the feet of Jesus because he is the one who blazed the trail and made the course and strengthened you. So even in your exaltation, it's not about you for you. It's actually about Jesus. Just like for Jesus, it was about the Father. Jesus is inviting you on a journey towards humility He is inviting you into a place of transformation. He demonstrates that humility is the spring of eternal joy, living in the love of the Father. And it's the journey into true greatness, genuine exaltation from the Father. So the answer, the question is, is will you answer his call? Will you receive his invitation? Will you today say, Lord, I want to be humble. Make me humble like Jesus. I will. Will you join me in that prayer? Father, when I read about humility in the life of Jesus, I see how not humble I am. 
please forgive me for my pride. Please forgive me for exalting myself and not you. Lord, lead us on this journey of humility. Help us to descend into true greatness. Father, we don't want to use what you've given us for our own advantage. We want to promote Jesus. We don't want to decline the invitation and the opportunity thinking so little of you that we think little of us. We just want to have the right-sized view of us. And so help us to see you as great and help us to see what you've given us as useful, not for us, but for you and for those around us. Give us wisdom as we pursue this humility, Father, and patience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.